the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. We are all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. and business, we talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at Klein. Dot com, brand new website, by the way. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you won't want to miss. It's a live show. You can call in at 312-642-5600. And of course, encourage you to contact our wonderful sponsors at Tandem HR. Visit their website, tandemhr.com, or give them a call, uh, 630-928-0510. So my first guest here in studio... Uh, has had a uh, illustrious 36-year uh, career at the Jewish Federation of Metropolitan Chicago. Mike Tarnoff has turned his attention to what he believes is the crisis in electoral politics in the United States and now is the founder and chairman of Make Every Vote Matter. He's in, is intent on reforming the national election process by increasing people's awareness of the importance of the right to vote and making every vote important. Um, Mike Tarnoff, thank you so much for joining us here in studio. Uh, it's great to have you. It's great to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. So tell me uh, a little bit about uh, Make Every Mo- Vote Matter and how you got interested in the topic in general. Well, going back 50 years to when I first became eligible to vote, which was in the 1960s, I realized that here in Illinois, no matter which party or presidential candidate I preferred, my vote didn't really matter because the electoral votes in the state of Illinois are basically predetermined. As a result, for many years, I personally did not vote in presidential elections. Then, in 2010, after my career, and thank you for mentioning that, um, I turned 65 and I began to focus on my retirement, which led me to think back to my frustration and anger about the Electoral College, how it distorts presidential campaigns, disenfranchises voters, and drives partisanship. In talking to others across the political spectrum, it soon became clear to me that I was not the only one who feels this way. It was then that I decided I would use my retirement years to make a difference by establishing an organization that would work to make every vote matter by electing the president under a one-person, one-vote electoral process. So, Michael, you just mentioned uh, talking to some of your colleagues and friends across the political uh, spectrum and across the political aisle. you're, You're indicating that make every vote matter uh, is apolitical and nonpartisan. Is there really support uh, for this on both sides of the aisle? There sure is. Uh, eliminating the Electoral College has been an apolitical nonpartisan movement for at least 50 years. Back in 1969, the U.S. House of Representatives voted for a national popular vote by 338 to 70 margin, 
which included over 90% of the Republican representatives in the House at that time, recent and past Republican presidents and presidential candidates who supported direct election to the president include George H.W. Bush, Bob Dole, Gerald Ford, and even Richard Nixon. A book titled Every Vote Equal by John Koza has forewords written by members of both parties, including 12 Republicans who have served either in the House or the Senate of the United States Congress. On the Democratic side of the aisle, Senator Barbara Boxer, Senator Dick Durbin, and of course Al Gore have all indicated they think it's time to eliminate the Electoral College. Fascinating uh, to hear those names and those examples. Uh, Are there other nationally known independent groups that support uh, this effort? Sure there are. To name a few, the American Bar Association supports elimination of the Electoral College. Their website has an article titled, The Electoral College Flunks the Test in an Age of Democracy, written by John B. Anderson. The League of Women Voters also believes that the Electoral College should be abolished. Their position can also be viewed on their website. And the New York Times editorial board published an editorial opinion titled, Let the People Pick the President on November 7th. Now, I know we all know that everyone everyone agrees, not every, excuse me, not everyone agrees with the editorial page of the New York Times. However, it's worth noting that once an issue reaches their editorial page, it means that it's an issue that's become part of our national conversation. So you have a, a very interesting proposal, clearly uh, clearly supported by both those independent groups, those the, uh, as well as uh, seemingly uh, folks on both sides of the aisle. But would Im- eliminating the Electoral College benefit any one party or any uh, other specific group? No one really knows for sure. Right now, the voter turnout in this country is consistently 10 to 15 percent larger in the 10 or 11 swing states than it is in the other 39 or 40 flyover states. There's reason to estimate that in a popular vote, there might be perhaps 20 or 25 million more voters, and the winners on a state-by-state basis would cease to matter at all. If you add 20 to 25 million new voters into the mix, no one can say that would benefit Democrats or Republicans or some sort of yet-to-emerge independent third party. All candidates would have an equal opportunity to convince these millions of new voters that their platform is better. The bottom line is, even though we can't predict the outcome, more voters would be motivated to exercise their right to vote. The Electoral College has been around for quite a while. Our founding fathers, uh, I think it's fair to say, were pretty wise and pretty smart. Uh, it's why, Is it wise to tinker with the system that they established for electing our president? Well, we certainly agree that the founding fathers were indeed really smart. That's exactly why they had the foresight and the wisdom to provide for a process to amend the Constitution. That process has actually been used 27 times in our 241-year history. One might ask, how do you feel about the First Amendment? That's the one that gives us both freedom of religion and speech. Most people are pretty happy with that one. How do you, how do you feel about the Fifth Amendment, the right to refuse to testify against yourself? The point that I'm trying to make here is that the Founding Fathers clearly knew that things could and would change over time and that changes to their document over time would be both necessary and wise. Debating and ultimately enacting amendments when deemed necessary is in fact exactly what the Founding Fathers wanted us to do. Would we need a constitutional amendment in order to elect the president by popular vote? No, not necessarily. There's a movement called the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact 
which was founded in 2006. This compact provides that if a combination of states totaling 270 electoral votes joins the compact, then they all will agree to instruct their electors to vote for the winner of the national popular vote. In that way, the winner of the national popular vote will become the president. This process means that the electoral college would be preserved, but the winner of the popular vote and the winner of the electoral college vote would always be the same person. The really interesting thing is that this compact has already made significant inroads on a state-by-state basis. Eleven states with 165 electoral votes have already adopted this compact. It's also been passed by at least one house in 12 additional states with 96 electoral votes and has been approved unanimously by committee votes in two additional states with 27 electoral votes. It's worth noting that a number of the legislatures where this has already been approved are in Republican-controlled states. Very, very interesting. We're chatting with Michael Tarnoff, the uh, founder and chairman of Make Every Vote uh, Matter, and a uh, really fascinating subject, clearly something that impacts uh, our community, and and, and it's certainly uh, it's in the news quite a bit right now. Uh, it's been in the news for the past year, and uh, Mike is proposing, I think, a, a, a fascinating uh, approach uh, with a lot of backup and a lot of research and a lot of history over here, so I uh, appreciate it. Uh, Mike, we are quickly running out of time, but I, I want to try to learn just a little bit more. Under a popular vote system, wouldn't the four or five biggest cities in America control the outcome? Uh, that's a popular myth, Shalom, but it's simply not supported by the factual data. There are three simple facts about the biggest cities in the U.S. The first one is that the five biggest cities represent about 5% of the total population And even if you go to the 50 biggest cities, that constitutes about 15% of the population. The second fact is that the voters in these big cities are not and have never been unanimously in favor of one party or the other. The votes in many of these cities are often more like 60-40 or even closer margins. And the third important fact is that some of the biggest cities are located in primarily blue states, while others are located in primarily red states. When you consider these three facts together, the bottom line is that it becomes mathematically impossible for anyone to win a national popular vote by concentrating only on the big cities in America. So make every vote matter. Um, you've, you've been involved in this effort sort of in your retirement. So, uh, so it sounds like that whole retirement thing uh, is not working out exactly as planned. You need more people to get involved. What can people do to support Make Every Vote Matter? Well, thank you for asking that question. There are three things everyone can do. First, please go to www.makeeveryvotematter.org and donate whatever you can. The amount doesn't matter. Every single contribution, just like every single vote, makes a difference. Second, follow us on Facebook and share this information with your friends. Third, Call and write letters to your elected representatives and to your local newspaper editors and let them know that you support one person, one vote. Thank you, Mike Tarnoff. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. Uh, as always, you get on my website, shalomkline.com. That's where you can download podcasts from past episodes and actually get a sneak peek of who's going to be on future weeks. Once again, on the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. We've got a lot more coming up for you after uh, after our headlines at the half of the hour. But I, I did want to talk to you about something uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, 
I actually just heard today that today, I guess, was Dating Sunday or something like that. Um, this follows a uh, a rather impressive lineup of Black Friday, uh, Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday, Giving Tuesday. We have all of those different things. And I have found that so many of these uh, of these titles for these days are... They're, they're a name only. They're really a name only, and it's just a marketing gimmick. And I've been frustrated with the Small Business Saturday thing for a while, and I just wanted to go off on a little rant for a few minutes over here because I, I think it's disappointing that uh, that small businesses don't get the attention that they deserve, don't get the attention that, that I think people in the community should be giving to them. Uh, I do my best at trying to uh, support local companies. I've said this often on the air that the local stores up and down Main Street, up and up and down, fill in the blank what street it is, wherever you, you might live, are they're your convenience store. They are the folks that uh, in the middle of the night or late in the evening when you need to pick something up, uh, Amazon Prime is quick, but they're not that quick. And if you want those businesses, those convenience stores, those places where you can go to uh, on any day of the week, any any uh, time of the day, and pop in, uh, you have to support them beyond those times as well. You have to make sure that they will be around. Keep in mind that these are families like yours, and you have to find your way to support them. I will acknowledge that I am an Amazon Prime member, and I certainly enjoy that membership and enjoy uh, the uh, the books that come to my house uh, on the day that, they, that they're released. That's very convenient. Uh, at the same time, I also do my best to support small businesses. I think that there's a lot more that our communities, that our neighborhoods should be doing to create uh, days where on a certain day, on a certain week, that 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 folks can do their best to support their local neighborhood businesses by getting their haircut from a local small business, from banking at a local small institution, from uh, doing their their shopping at a local grocery store, from buying their meals at a local restaurant. Imagine the impact that that can have if we all did that. If we all uh, gave a few dollars to that cause, it makes a huge statement uh, that small businesses are welcome, are supported, and everybody. This is something that I I truly believe believe everybody has a role in. It's not just uh, American Express is the sponsor of the Small Business Saturday. They do it for a reason. And I, again, I give them credit for, for, for putting dollars towards a campaign of Small Business Saturday. And I think that that alone uh, has a huge impact in, in when people talk about things like that. But it goes beyond that Small Business Saturday. It, it has to extend year-wide. There has to be uh, more of a local uh, take on this where, uh, you know, neighborhood in Lakeview and Wicker Park and Skokie and Evanston, where people can come together and where people can talk about about specific businesses and don't just complain when something doesn't go your way when the service isn't up to par. You also have to support them when things go right. You have to post online, and you have to uh, and and you have to support those local businesses. I also uh, had another uh, I, I another thing that I was I was looking at. I'm helping a, a community in Halifax in in Canada. Uh, I'm helping them uh, create a social media day, and this was originally started uh, by Mashable, the magazine, in 2010 to honor the impact of social media on uh, communications specifically for small businesses. So I've been uh, helping them and consulting with them 
uh, on a full-day conference to focus on learning, sharing, and growing. So organizers of the conference recently contacted me looking for specific advice on how to approach sponsors for this new initiative. Um, so I know a lot of our listeners uh, in a small businesses uh, are looking for, for, uh, for investors. We also have nonprofits uh, that frequently get in touch with me and they listen to the show uh, because I do believe that nonprofit and organizations uh, must follow a very entrepreneurial playbook uh, to be successful as well. So my response, this is what I told that group in Halifax, and uh, I'd share this with you as well. Uh, when you're looking for funding, when you're looking for sponsors, when you're looking for an investor, uh, you want to carefully research those prospective and potential sponsors or investors, fill in the blank, and figure out, is it a good fit? Um, I've said this often on, on the show that if when you're looking for a job, you need to clearly articulate what kind of job you're looking for. Don't just tell people, I'm looking for a job. Provide your wish list. Provide your your sales pitch. Um, you're going to hearing you're going to be hearing throughout the show uh, about uh, a, a specific small business, uh, and you're going to hear from uh, from our guest a little bit about the the business. That is how uh, a job seeker should approach uh, their job search, and this is how somebody that's looking for funding should uh, should approach their search as well. You want to make sure that you have articulated clearly who is a strong fit. A potential sponsor needs to clearly and quickly understand why you are approaching them. For example, you could look at similar conferences or events that have taken place in other areas and approach a sponsor by saying, I'm contacting you because I, I know you participated in such and such event as a sponsor. We'll be attracting a similar audience to our conference and believe that there's value to you. You want to be succinct and you want to be straightforward when speaking to potential sponsors about the value to them. Because often what you're going to be promoting is a new initiative, your prospects will be cautious and perhaps a bit cynical. You want to state what you know about attendance at similar local conferences or participation or, or, or the customer base of your business and share that information quite clearly and approach those potential sponsors or investors in multiple ways. You want this event to take place annually. So when you approach those sponsors, you want to create a strong ongoing relationship. Definitely phone them first. I'm a big believer in the power of phone communication. Using your message that we just spoke about in a moment ago, that brand, that 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 uh, message that you're trying to convey to indicate that you're also sending an email and we'll follow up with them. And I'm going to post some of this information on my website, some specific examples of emails that you can send uh, a good succinct uh, email. Uh, I've certainly gotten the you know the three page messages. I'm sure all of our listeners can relate to that. The long, long, long message that nobody has the time to read. So you want to make sure that you're getting the key points across, not being too brief where it's only going to lead to a lot more questions, but not being too lengthy where nobody's going to look at that information as well. So again, start with that phone call. Make sure you're following up with an email, giving and delivering the information as carefully as possible, and make sure you're using your existing contacts to reach the right person. I certainly have spoken about this as as well in the past. Uh, there's a lot of ways that you could do that in this age of LinkedIn. It's vital to get information in front of the correct decision maker, and they're not always easy to track down. So you want to reach out to all of your networks, including LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, to identify and perhaps receive an introduction to the right individual. Besides, using social media to connect uh, about, I again, I'm giving this specific advice to, uh, to a specific organization about a social media day, it speaks directly to the expertise that you bring to that initiative. Keep in mind, it will be quite impressive to a potential business investor if you're reaching out to them 
uh, through different forms of technology. It shows that you're with it, that you have a creative marketing plan, that you're you're that you've adapted to all of the different forms. And these days, it's not hard to to connect with the people that you're looking to connect with if you are creative about how to use those social networks. Uh, I've experienced this so many times through LinkedIn. It's rare that I cannot uh, locate a, a, a close connection or a close tie to the folks uh, that I'm looking for. And make the offer simple. All of us are struggling to make decisions in our overloaded world. It's best to present uh, your potential contacts with a few well-crafted and powerful options than a multitude of choices. And give people a clear deadline. Make sure uh, that uh, you help them focus this will help you stay on track with your timeline. It also gives you permission to contact them frequently as the deadline approaches. Know that you'll likely have to extend the deadline. I'm just being honest with you about that. So make it earlier than you need, but know that it's going to be a strong motivator to make things happen. And finally, 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 my last tip for you is follow up, follow up, and follow up again. This is crucial. Make sure you connect and get a final decision from everyone you approach. Remember that you're building relationships for this year, for next year, for the year after, and so on. Uh, potential investors may take a wait and see attitude because this is the first time that they're being approached. That's perfectly understandable. Perhaps follow up with them and uh, schedule a meeting. Find a way to continue engaging and conversing with them. Uh, This will allow them to connect with you, allow them to learn more about what you're doing, and make sure you meet with them. Find an opportunity for that cup of coffee and use your network to make sure that 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 connection continues to be engaged. What's your story? How has it worked for you with your events, with uh, with your business? Share those examples with me. Visit my website, shalomkline.com, and let me know what you thought about, uh, uh, what you think about my small business uh, concept as well. I think that there's something that everybody can be doing. And hey, if your if your neighborhood is putting on something in particular that that you're proud of, let me know, and I'd be happy to share that information with all of our listeners. Come up after the break. We've got more tips, advice, and information for you. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. We are the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. So it's always fun when I can combine all of my uh, all of my passions all in one conversation. I think that's exactly what we're about to do. Thrilled to be joined uh, here in studio by Jen Lemus, the Vice President of Marketing and Customer Experience for Paradise for Pause. Uh, a we'll, we'll talk some more about it, so I don't want to give it all away, but really fascinating story of a really interesting business that uh, that does some great work with uh, with people as well as with their uh their pooches and uh, and their best friends. So Jen, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So before we get into the services of Paradise for Pause, um, tell me a little bit about the story at your story as well as the story of the company. Thanks. Um, so the company started originally um, in 2005 as an idea. Uh, the two main founders, uh, Sock and Joanna, were good friends at uh, Kellogg Business School, getting their MBAs, and were working on a group project. They needed an, uh, an assignment for that project, and they both were pet owners and were struggled in their previous uh, graduate school life with travel and consulting work to find a place that they trusted for their fur babies. Where do they leave their dogs and cats when they're traveling that would give them the same level of care that they would expect and and, and want them to receive uh, as comparable to home? And so this was an ongoing issue that they recognized in the marketplace. And so they brought it together as a business plan while in grad school in 2005. And put it to the back burner for a while um, and really brought it to life, opening the first location, um, brought it back up in May 2008. Our first location was opened at O'Hare. 
the thing that makes us different is we started as locations near or at airports, um, really focused on helping traveling pet parents with a place that was convenient, open 24 hours a day, seven days of the week, so you can drop off or pick up any time, no matter what time of the day you landed or were going. Uh, you could park your car with us, and we would shuttle you to the airport. And it wasn't about cages or kennels. It's suites. So very, you know, very offering that at-home, convenient um comfortable experience for the four-legged guests. They are our guests. They're not just dogs or cats in a kennel. Um, they are our guests, and we want to treat them like guests. They get to go swimming and splashing in the bone-shaped <laughs> splashing pool. They have their own suites and rooms. Um, they have, you know, luxury bedding and our cats are stay in bungalows and they get to walk around the cat adventure jungle and see, um, the fishies and entertain with them. We have suites that go all the way up to our top dog, which includes a human sized bed and a TV with webcam access. So the, the pups can be entertained when they're in their suite and you can check on them while you're, while you're away and see how they're faring. So we're really about transparency and having a convenient and uh, and comfortable, safe, secure place that you can leave them while you're gone. Would you accept a reservation from me? <laughs> we do get that. Every time we take people on a tour, they uh, pet parents will see our top dog suite and kind of wish they were staying here too. It's a lot of fun. Lots of snuggles and cuddles and splashing You know, on vacation as well. I'm in. I'm going to have to look <laughs> into this if I, if I want to plan a staycation in <laughs> Chicago. Or I will talk some more about it, but I know that you're uh, rapidly expanding to other, uh, to other cities around the country to make it as convenient as possible. But Jen, in all seriousness, I, I, it's, I can relate to this as somebody that travels frequently, as somebody who has just returned from a trip. Uh, it's hard to find uh, a place uh, for, I liked what you said, uh, for babies mm-hmm. uh, that, uh, that you can trust that that's reliable, uh, that, that has a reputation. There's obviously the, there's the big brands that are out there and they don't have the great reputation. Um, I, I you know, I could go on and on with uh, my own experiences and stories uh, with them, but uh, but often you end up, uh, you know, uh, talking to a, a local individual, but they might not be available uh, during the holidays or something like that. So, so the operation and the the brand that you've established is is clearly working quite well. Uh, so, Paradise for Paws and Pooch Hotel. Um, models that that have been established and we'll talk about uh services being provided around the country but uh tell me a little bit uh jen about the about the company and the uh the people involved that you uh, you mentioned the founders of the company uh how many people work for uh work for paradise for pause and uh and and are you uh are you expanding yeah um we have 400 uh, employees approximately across 15 locations. We, I mentioned our first location at O'Hare. Our next one was at Midway. Uh, we expanded to a resort at DFW Airport and another one at Denver. Um, and that all happened over uh, about a, a five, six-year period. And then in March 2016, we made an acquisition from Petco, taking over the operations of the Pooch Hotel uh, brand, bringing in 10 more locations across the U.S. So in Chicago, it's really nice. We have five locations between the two brands. So we can help pet parents when they're traveling out of O'Hare or Midway or when they're you know needing a solution near home or near office, whether they're based in Lincoln Park, West Loop, or South Loop with our Pooch Hotel locations. And it really provides that flexibility of, if you need, you know, care where you live or care uh, when you are traveling out of the airport. 
Uh, really, really interesting. And uh, obviously, uh, we are a show about business and entrepreneurship. I'd be curious, just your experience um, being in business and and growing a, a startup, uh, because relatively new company. What advice do you have for other business owners out there uh, as they as they look to to expand? Uh, and it should do you, do you have any uh, sort of memories of things that uh, you wish you would have done a little bit differently? I think the thing that we keep finding is um, we get really excited about an idea and um, we want to do it all um, and we want to do it uh, yesterday. And so sometimes we have to hold ourselves back and take a second. Patience, patience. Patience, think about it. And um, really what we also found is integrating two brands and operations takes a little bit more time than you probably give it credit. Very interesting. Well, we're going to continue our conversation with Jen Lemus just after this very, very quick break. So hang on tight. We'll be right back and get down to business. Welcome back uh, to Get Down to Business. I'm joined by Jen Lemus, the Vice President of Marketing and Customer Experience for Paradise for Paws and Pooch Hotel. Uh, on their website, very, very clearly, uh, you articulate that your love for furry companions is at the heart of everything that you do. And it shows uh, through the list of services uh, that are provided. So, uh, Jen, you alluded to it uh, just before the break. You were telling us a little bit about the uh, about what differentiates um, pet uh uh, Pooch Hotel, uh, Paradise for Paws from the uh, others that are out there. And uh, if you don't mind, walk us walk us through it and how uh, those specific services were identified as as areas that uh, that uh, pet parents would want to perhaps spend a few extra dollars because you're not the cheapest out there and you're not trying to be. We're not. We don't. We're not. Um, we're not trying to be. We believe that we're offering a quality product and uh, the price is the value that matches it. Um, we offer the standard services um, that a lot of other players offer of daycare, boarding, uh, grooming. We uh, offer training as well. Um, within the grooming, we have extra a la carte services like podicures and spa um, treatments and treadmill time and things like in massages. Um, so we're about pampering the pups is one of the things that is a clear point of differentiation. But our biggest point of differentiation is really that convenient access, being open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the year. We never close. No matter what time you need to drop off or pick up, you have that flexibility um, with us. And that's really a really differentiating. A lot of these uh, places that are single operations or even some of the other uh, franchise chains that uh, might exist in other markets um, – Someone leaves at about 8 o'clock and doesn't come back until potentially 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. There is someone always in our hotels and resorts making sure that the guests are are doing okay, that everyone is cared for, that there are no issues, monitoring anything. And then also if a pet parent lands late or has a meeting or something happens and they need they need to drop off earlier uh, than, than normal, you don't have to wait uh, drop. You don't have to drop off the night before and miss an extra night with your fur baby or pick up the next day because you got in too late and the place was already closed. And that was really a defining point of the the, the business plan as, uh, as our founders and Sock and Joanna were creating it is as a consultant, you leave at 7 a.m. on Monday and come back at 7.30 on Thursday, that potentially meant that you didn't see your animals until Friday after work and you had to get rid of, you know, you had to drop them off at 4 p.m. on Sunday. And that just wasn't the way they wanted to to operate. And we know that's a common um, pressure point and area of tension uh, with other pet parents. And it really makes a differentiating convenience that people really love. Do you have a lot of uh, pets and parents uh, returning for uh, repeat stays? Uh, yeah, most of our business is uh, repeat customers. Uh, we 
we develop a really strong relationship with our guests and uh, know their quirks and know their preferences and can talk with their pet parents about um, what Lulu likes and what Roxy or Wrigley likes. And that's really something that makes a difference because our staff knows those guests very well and can, can relate to the pet parents. Um, we're, we're all about transparency and trust. There's webcams throughout our play areas. Many of our upgraded suites have webcams in suite. Um, and if there's ever anything that we notice that's off, we are the first to call those pet parents and let us know. And there's been multiple situations where we've actually found something that was an underlying medical problem because we know those guests so well and we're watching so closely that we're able to help the pet parents sound an alarm and identify something because of that close connection. And it really creates a long-term relationship with our pet parents. And I'm taking note of all of the things that you're saying. I know you're talking specifically about, about Pooch Hotel, but uh, again... No, and Paradise for Paws, both. And Paradise for Paws <laughs> as well, but, uh, but really good advice for business owners in general that uh, developing the relationship, yeah. uh, strong communication, these are the things that, that uh, create loyalty uh, to a brand, to a company, and, and that's really important. Um, so you mentioned quirks. Um, can you share with us some of the strangest requests that you may have received? Um, we have had requests for a uh, to get a fillet maybe and bring it uh, for special uh, birthday treats. We um, there are sometimes some some dogs are, are used to a lullaby lullaby at night, and we're happy to provide that as part of evening cuddle time if that's uh, going to make them more comfortable uh, at our resort or hotel. Wow, um, <laughs> I, I love it. You know what? And I'm sure you handle each and every one of those requests just the right way. It's all about personalizing and, <laughs> and making sure that guest is comfortable. That's fantastic. So tell us a little bit about the growth plans and what's uh, where where you expect to be over the over the next five years. Um, well, the net, the most immediate growth is uh, we are in the process of finalizing our plans uh, to open our next Paradise for Paws resort at JFK. Um, we're very excited. Uh, it's been a project that's been in the works for a little bit, and that is something that should be in early spring 2018. Um, and we're exploring other uh, airport locations to uh, expand our coverage uh, within um you know, different markets, various levels of conversation in other with other top markets. Um, we just recently opened Pooch Club in the South Loop, which is in a resident uh, residential building that's uh, open Monday through Friday, uh, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. for daycare. It's sort of an outpost uh, with walks around that. Um, and so those are some of the things that we're testing out. We do walks out of our South Loop, which is a new new model for us. So we're, we're testing a little few different things at the same time. I'm fascinated by the impact uh, that uh, that uh, Paradise for Paws, Pooch Hotel, uh, that you're having actually literally on the business community. Because I know so many friends and colleagues that travel for, for business like I do. And uh, they they hesitate to, to jump on a plane, hesitate to go away for that really important meeting uh, somewhere because it a it's challenging sometimes to make the arrangements and b they miss their they miss mm-hmm. their their pet and and it, it it's tough for them. You're making it easier and you're making it uh, a, a lot a lot more simple to make those arrangements and uh, and that's fantastic. So we're certainly going to follow uh, the growth um, of uh, Paradise for Paws Pooch Hotel. Uh, lots in store, I'm sure. But uh, Jen Lemus, we are running out of time. Uh, it's such a pleasure to have you on the air. Uh, if you don't mind, share with us how folks can get in touch and learn more. 
Yeah. Um, you can check out our website, uh, paradise, the number four pause.com and poochhotel.com. Uh, and you can see lots of information about where we are, our locations are, we are ho- various hotels and resorts, the various offerings. They each have a, uh, inquiry form you can fill out if you want to, um, find out about availability. And you should check out our new customer special that's listed on both websites and uh, to test us out. Paradise, the number four pause.com. Check it out. Jen Lehman's vice president of marketing and customer experience. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. We are powered by Tandem HR, your solution center. You can find out more uh, about them and check out their fascinating blog. Lots of great HR information, information about uh, the Affordable Care Act on their website, tandemhr.com, or give them a call, 630-928-0510. They're always happy to give you a free uh, consultation about all of the ever-changing regulations and certainly with the new uh, tax bill, uh, being put in place, lots of questions about what it means for businesses and what the upcoming tax filing season will look like. So make sure you're following all of that information. We'll certainly uh, be bringing on guests and experts over the coming weeks and months on to get down to business. But I certainly encourage you to contact the experts and the talented team at Tandem HR. Again, visit their website, tandemhr.com, or give them a call, 630-928-0510. So we are in 2018. I can't believe it. And uh, that means that it's time to get back into the world of networking, whether you are in business or you work for a company, or you are looking for a new position in 2018, it means you need to get out there and start meeting people. It's certainly hard um, for introverts, especially when it comes to working a room. So for the less outgoing, attending a networking event can be like diving into a mosh pit. Um, And uh, it's downright scary. Um, And I don't uh, believe that many people are natural extroverts. Um, I certainly have been accused of of falling into that category. And I will be very honest and upfront uh, by saying that I don't. I don't like going into a room and randomly introducing myself to people that I've never met in my life. Uh, and the truth is uh, that there's actually a book that I researched. Uh, it was a 2012 bestseller. It's called Quiet, The Power of Introverts. Um, and the author, Susan Cain, says that as many as 50% of Americans are introverts. I actually think that number is probably higher. So while conventional wisdom holds that uh, the shy types are at a disadvantage in the business world, there are some lesser known benefits to being among the more reserved. Research, a book by Wharton management professor Adam Grant, um, for example, uh, showed that uh, introverts are more effective leaders in a recent Cambridge University study found they're more adaptable in the workplace than their extroverted colleagues. But that knowledge doesn't necessarily help you uh, when you're hugging the wall at your next conference or cocktail reception. So I've got some quick tips for all of you to nail your next networking event. Number one is you want to adjust your mindset. Just hearing the word networking makes you gulp. You want probably want to reframe your approach. Instead of feeling overwhelmed by the size of the crowd, focus on your goal, which is to make two or three meaningful connections. That's doable. Take it into bite-sized pieces. Once you're done so, give yourself permission to leave. If you overstay, you're only going to get burnt out. You'll be less motivated to go to events in the future. Contact people in advance. Get a list of the attendees beforehand and determine the people you want to meet. Um, and uh, you could send messages like, uh, I saw that you're attending the conference. I'd love to get together during the lunch break and learn more about your research. For icebreakers, you want to browse some of those social media feeds of some of the folks that will be at the event to find shared interests, which you can use as talking points in person. Bring a wingman. If you need a confidence booster, get a coworker to join you at the event. Having a conference buddy can actually help you 
uh, get grounded. But one note of caution is you can take breaks together to recharge, but avoid clinging too closely to the person. Or you'll defeat the entire purpose of networking. Go behind the scenes, get access to key players by helping to organize, volunteer at the events. Uh, checking in attendees, for example, allows you to meet with your targeted people when they walk in the door. Score FaceTime with an industry influencer. Be the person who picks up the keynote speaker at the airport. Keep the focus on them. Networking is all about building relationships, not selling. That's right. It's not selling. You want to start the conversation with a casual starter. That was a great lecture. What do you think of that? And let the other person do most of the talking. Exit strategically. Close the conversation by setting a time to meet and practice, practice, practice. As an introvert, it's not in your nature to love large crowds, and that is okay. Even if you do all of the above, you're never going to feel completely confident or comfortable schmoozing at an industry conference, but you can make the process less stressful by attending networking events on a regular basis. You could also flex your communication skills back at the office, for instance, by striking up conversation with new colleagues in the break room. Hopefully you find that uh, those tips and that advice helpful, and you can put it into practice in 2018. Would love to hear your thoughts. Contact me through my website, shalomkline.com. To success, we'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on AM560. The answer, have a great week. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.